Hey guys, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited personally for my guest because as you may or may not know, I don't generally have anxiety. I don't worry about things. And so, so much of my audience does struggle with this. My kids struggle with this and I want to understand it better. And more importantly, I want to be able to help you. So I brought today a guest who I'm super excited to have because she has over 10,000 hours of feeling anxious, which technically speaking makes everyone an expert who has. But even better than that, Mel Robbins is an expert at personal development, at behavioral change. You probably recognize her because you've either seen her on TV or one of her talks. YouTube, she's got billions of views on her videos and they really help people because she offers science-based changes that you can make. I mean, this is stuff that it seems so simple, but then when you put it into practice, you realize it is the simple things that can change the way we think. And when we change the way we think, we can change our lives. Mel Robbins happens to be the number one podcaster on Audible. She's got four number one books on Audible as well, which by the way, if you haven't listened to one of her Audible books, it is the inspiration. It's what I listened to before recording mine because you feel like you're sitting across the table from a friend who's explaining things to you. Like she keeps in like all the real stuff. You know what I mean? Like you don't feel like it's someone who's reading a script of their own language. Like you really feel like she's talking to you from the heart. So I strongly encourage you to download one of her previous books and hopefully it's already available to you. The high five habit. I'm telling you, this is such a game changer and we need it right now. If you struggle with anxiety, if you know someone who does This is something that's really going to make a difference. I'm profoundly excited to introduce my special guest and friend, Mel Robbins. Great to have you. You are amazing. Wait, two high fives. Do you know about this, that if you don't look at the hand, if you look at the elbow, you always connect? If you don't look at the hand? Look at the elbow. See, I'm learning something about... Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? That is amazing. I don't know why it is. And you want to know something else about a high five that's super cool? Is that when you give a lame one, what do you do? You do it again. Correct. Because there's an intentionality. Yeah. In communication. It's almost like I'm, I meant that. Let, yes. Let's get it yeah, right. Get it right. <laughs> now I went to your elbow. You just taught me something. See, we're done here. Yes, exactly. It also, it gives you this endorphin rush when you high five. Yes. So before we get started, I just have to tell you that I've started reading your book and it's yes. remarkable. And I'm one of those people that like cheesy things doing them in the mirror. I'm like, I can't. Ah. It's not me. But I'm like, out of respect for Mel, I have to do this. So I high fived myself in the mirror and you can't not smile and go like, I don't know. It does something to you. Okay. So I'll unpack the science real quick. Okay. Because this thing that I stumbled into, I didn't sit and go, okay, I'm not a marketing genius like you. I'm really (laughs) not. Like I tend to gain my expertise by either digging myself a hole or falling into one. Love it. And then I need to build a ladder suddenly to get myself out of that hole. And the high five habit is exactly that. I did not say, okay, I published the five second rule almost five years ago. I need a new book. It's got to have a five in it. Like that's not what happened. Mm. I hit a moment in my life, just April of 2020, where I felt like life was punching me in the face. Mm. And I know so many women in particular can relate to this. Mm -hmm. You're last on your list. You're completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You are stressed out. You're defeated. You have no idea how you're going to get out of bed and face yet another day where it's all up to you. Right. And the high five habit happened at a moment where that's how I felt. At the age of 51, I had lost my talk show, which means I was fired from my dream job. Mm. I had a book publisher cancel the contract for a book, not this one. 
a book that I had failed to write, so they should have canceled. Right. <laughs> I was a year late, let's be honest, okay? But, you know, I, I mean, and then they wanted the money back that they had advanced me. There were no PPP loans yet, so I had no idea how mm, it was going to mm. Speech after speech after So this speech. is April 2020, so I'm yeah. putting it in perspective yeah. now. Okay. And this is not a pandemic book. Wow. And what happened in my business as I'm like, are you kidding me? I have worked this hard for 10 years and I have to reinvent myself mm. at 51 again. I am so over this personal development crap. I'm so tired of working on myself. Yeah. Like that's how I felt. Yeah. And then I know we're going to talk a lot about anxiety. My kids were in full on breakdown mm. because college had imploded. So your kids are 16, yeah. 21, 22. Correct. So at the time we had a junior in college studying abroad and a freshman. College. So the child that was abroad had to come home. Yep. They were shutting down the borders, got to get on a plane. The one that was hitting the spring of her freshman year, pack up your dorm, get on a plane, fly home. So there was a tsunami. So everybody moved back home. Uh-huh. You've just had the carpet ripped out from underneath you. Nobody knows what's going on. So there's an incredible amount of uncertainty, which oh, we're worried. We're worried about yeah. parents. We're worried about frontline workers. We're worried about the state of the world. We're worried about how we're going to get through this. We're going slowly crazy every single day as you're where I, I personally was wearing pajamas every day mm-hmm. and I'm starting to have the bloody Mary. At the <laughs> morning, so I wouldn't stop at my kids. Like, right. It was just a blur. Yeah. And were there wonderful things that came out of quarantine? Of course. But at this particular moment, I fell into a hole. Mm. And so the high five habit was not something I meant to do. It literally rescued me. So the morning that I stumbled into this thing, I was standing in the bathroom in my underwear. Uh And I was brushing my teeth and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. And I thought, oh my God, hell. (laughs) And like a gray hair is coming in. I start picking myself apart. The dark circles under my eyes, the saggy neck, these jowls that I can't stand, like just trashing myself. Yeah. And then, of course, once you go negative, your mind continues to go negative. So I start thinking, why did I get up so late? I got to walk the dog yet. I got to be on Zoom in eight minutes. Yeah. And if you had walked to the bathroom that morning, I would have spun on a dime and I would have been able to lift you up. True. I would have been able to say, honey, this isn't fair. But if anybody can handle it, you can. Mm -hmm. And I would have sent you right back out. But for me, like I get emotional thinking about it feel myself getting hot because maybe it's all the lights in here. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the hot flash I might be having. But honestly, even if I had given myself a pep talk, I wouldn't have believed it mm. because I didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, standing there in my bathroom, in my underwear, as cheesy as it sounds, because I, like you, have never looked in the mirror and given myself a pep talk. Okay. I literally raise my hand and I give the woman in the mirror a high five. Because she needed it. Mm. Did you say something at that moment? Or you just... Look, lightning didn't strike. It's not like heaven opened up and the angels were like, oh. Yeah, yeah. That that wasn't the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like what actually happened is I felt my shoulders drop. And I didn't say anything, but I kind of felt this attitude switch. Like, all right, come on, pull yourself together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I kind of like like a tough coach would do. Okay. It was the second morning that everything changed. Because I get out of bed, five, four, three, two, one. I make my bed. So I don't crawl into it. I still feel defeated and overwhelmed and completely like just not knowing how to face my life right now. Right. And as I was walking to the bathroom, I wasn't even in the bathroom yet. I felt something. 
I'd never felt in my entire life. And it was this. You know when you're about to meet a friend for a cup of coffee? Yeah. You really like them? Yes. What do you feel right before you're about to walk into the cafe? Excited. Yeah, you're excited. Like, this is going to be fun. Exactly. I actually felt that about seeing myself in the mirror. That's amazing. In 51 years of being alive, I don't ever recall feeling excited about seeing the human being, Mel Robbins. Wow. I have been excited to see my outfit or the way that makeup or hair looks. But the human, the soul that's behind that body, never even occurred to me. Wow. What's happening for you? Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking... Have I ever been excited to see myself? The first thing I thought of was outfits. And then the second thing I thought of was, okay, if I'm done up, like if someone else has done my makeup, someone's like, but never have I felt that way walking into the bathroom after waking up. In fact, sometimes I will just like avert my eyes. Like it's not real. It's not real until all the paint is on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Actually, I'm so glad you said that because we all talk about morning routines, right? And everybody knows the power of meditation and gratitude and how you you set your day up is how it ends up. Nobody has actually exposed this dirty habit that we all have. And it's a habit of being with yourself in the mirror and doing one of two things, either averting your eyes and ignoring yourself, Mm -hmm. which is a form of rejection Mm -hmm. or completely trashing yourself. in the Mm -hmm. 91% of women don't like how they look. Yeah. 50% of us can't even look at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah, And so there's this habit we have that begins our day by rejecting ourselves. Mm. And so that second morning, as I round the mirror and I'm feeling this sense of enthusiasm, I have this bizarre experience where I realize, oh my God, there are two of us in the bathroom. There's me and there's a woman in the mirror who needs me. Mm. And she literally, if you look past your body, you will see your soul and your spirit. You will see a person who is trying so hard. You will see a person who wants your encouragement. You will see a person who just doesn't want you to ignore them, who needs you. And so I had this like profound sense of sadness Mm. for how long I have not actually paid attention Mm. to what I've needed, to what she needed. And so there's this little piece of interesting research about leadership, and it's very new. I think it comes from Harvard, where if you'd spend less than a minute reflecting about how you're going to show up today as a leader, less Mm -hmm. than a minute, Mm -hmm. who are you going to be? How are you going to show up? It changes your focus, your productivity, and the impact you can have on other people. I want you to take that research, and I want you to apply it to yourself. I want you to look at the human being in the mirror, the woman that's staring back at you. And I want you to ask yourself a question you've actually never asked yourself, which is this. What does she need from me? Mm. And it might be kindness. It might be fun. She might need you to be a badass baller that's going to pull some boundaries today. She might need you to have a like strong work ethic and motor through the thing that you need to do. But she needs something from you. And I think the problem with women in particular is we have been trained to look outside ourselves for all of those needs. Mm-hmm. We look outside of ourselves for validation, for love, for encouragement, for support. And we stand in front of a mirror with an opportunity to give it to ourselves. So here's the interesting science. And this this plays so much into anxiety because part of why there is an epidemic of anxiety is because people are insecure with who they are. Mm -hmm. People pleasing is not about other people. 
People pleasing is about your own insecurity and who you are. Great point. And so you can get control of your anxiety for sure with this simple habit in the mirror, because here's the craziest part about the high five habit. You're not actually learning anything new. This is the coolest part. All of the programming is already in your brain. All of the programming for celebration and energy already in your nervous system. You have spent a lifetime high-fiving other people. It is already in there. I'm going to teach you how to take all of that programming that's in your mind, in your subconscious, hardwired in your neuropathways, and in your nervous system, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to aim it back at you. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. So here's what's going to happen when you do this. Number one, you're going to feel weird. (laughs) I didn't feel weird when I did it. I felt weird before I did. Like, am I really going to do this? This is super not me, cheesy, but okay, I'm going to do it. Yes. Okay, exactly. And that resistance is really important to talk about because everybody has it. Everybody stands in front of the mirror like, seriously, Mel Robbins? Oh, God, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so I want you to expect it. And there's a couple things around it. Number one, right now you have the opposite habit. So if you have a habit of picking yourself apart or ignoring yourself, actually looking at yourself and raising your hand to high five yourself is the opposite of what you do. Yes. So the reason why you reject it and it feels kind of weird is, you know, I'm a right hander. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think when I use my right hand. Yeah. If I were to lose this hand in an accident today and I have to start writing with this, it's the opposite. Right. It's weird, but I could do it and it would become easier and easier the more I do it. So understand that the weirdness is the fact that it's just something that's new. That's it. That's all that it means. Yeah. Push through it because then what is going to happen is exactly what you experienced. And the reason why the critic and the judgment silences has to do with neuroscience. This is so freaking cool. It's unbelievable. So when you go to high five somebody, Mm -hmm. what does the high five communicate? It communicates like good job validation. Sometimes it's like, I agree with what you just said. It's like, yeah, I'm oh, seeing you. Like, okay, let's do it. Oh, here yeah. I gotta look at your elbow. Yeah, yeah. And it feels good to give it. Yes. It feels good to receive it. Yes. It connects you. It's physical too. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of cool things about it. Yeah. It's, I believe in you. I love you. I see you. If somebody's attitude is down and you give them a high five, it's shake it off. We can still win. Yeah. It's all yeah. keep going. It's yeah. all of that stuff. The second you go to raise your hand to high five yourself, your brain recognizes the gesture. So it moves from paying attention and feeling weird to your subconscious. All of your lifetime of programming from high-fiving everybody else now fuses with your reflection. So as you do this high-five, your brain's like, I get it. Okay, I believe in this person. I love this person. I see this person. And what's so awesome about this is a whole field of study called neurobics. Now, I did not make up that word because it sounds kind of weird. Right, I love it. It's like aerobic physical movement with neural pathway development. So the fastest way to create a new thought pattern is you marry a sudden surprising physical movement with a new thought pattern. So you're not used to high-fiving yourself. So this is the sudden new physical movement married with the new thought pattern, which is all the subconscious programming that's all positive that has been programmed from high-fiving everybody else. And that's not all. There's way more. Okay, what are you going to say? Okay, it just made me realize something about my father-in-law who has Alzheimer's and he was just a prolific football coach. He was the winningest coach in the state of California's history, second winningest. But there was something about him that he could get people to do 
anything. I mean, if you're in an airport or at a restaurant or, you know, those things where it's like, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's going to be a 40 minute wait. He could get people to do things and usually through a little bit of intimidation, but he always had this thing he would do at the end, kind of like he'd raise his hand, like, see, we're connected. Yeah. And you would see people like someone I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's really offending this person. And then he put his hand up to high five and then they were connected. Right. And I see even now with his diminished cognition and hmm. his, the advancement of his disease, he still does this all the time. Like he's the CEO of our waste management. He's constantly taking trash out and then he'll yell at the postman. Buddy, are you going to pick up the trash? What's going on, buddy? Or the letter carrier. What do we call them today? Mail carriers? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind. He'll play along and then he'll be like, all right. And he'll say, no, I'll, I'll come back and get it tomorrow. He'll be like, all right. And he always high fives them. Yeah. And I, I realize that what he's doing there is saying like, we're on the same team. And what a profound thing to do that in the mirror to say like, we're on the same team. Yes. Because that's why everybody has a feeling that they're last on their list. Mm. Yeah. You need to build that partnership with yourself. You need to send yourself into your day knowing that you have your own back. And there's research actually around exactly what you've witnessed with your father-in-law. So chapter two of the book is all the research. So I tell you the story, then I hit you with the research because I know it sounds dumb on its face. So I got to prove to you using science that you got to try this. I have to say this before you go further. You said a few minutes ago, there's nothing new in this book. You're not gonna learn something new. You do. Absolutely. Oh, tons of new stuff. So like literally, I don't want anyone to discount it because it's not... What isn't new is that we've high-fived. What isn't new is that we know it feels good. What is new is the application and understanding the science and the simplicity when you apply this and you can turn that, that worry loop around. I'm sorry, go yes, ahead. Yes, no, you're a thousand percent right. It's an excellent catch. But there's a study of NBA teams. You can actually predict who's going to be in the championship rounds, researchers have, by seeing behavior in the preseason. It's the teams that have the most number of high fives, pats on the back and fist bumps who go on to do the best all season because those gestures are more than gestures. They are a way, just like your father-in-law does, of building trust, partnership, momentum and togetherness between people who don't really know each other yet. Mm -hmm. And the same is true about the teams with the worst record. They have the least number of high fives and pats on the back and fist bumps. Because they're not building partnership with one another. Everybody's in it for themselves. And so just like a team is sending everybody off to play the game at the beginning, instead of dragging yourself out of the bathroom, having beaten yourself up in the mirror, thinking negative about your day and feeling overwhelmed, you can use science and a simple quick high five in the mirror to actually activate programming in your brain and your nervous system to re-energize you, to create partnership with yourself and to strengthen your belief in yourself. Because I was talking with Dr. Daniel Amen a couple of weeks ago, and this isn't even in the book, the stuff he told me. And this is what he told me. Mel, when somebody else gives you a high five, your brain releases dopamine. That's why it feels good. When you do it to yourself, you do the same thing for yourself. Really important for those of us who have a dopamine deficiency with ADHD and ADD. That's incredible. Yeah. And he also said that the reason why you feel slightly more energized, almost like you got a little kind of weird pep in your step, you know, like as you're leaving, like because it feels corny. Yeah. It's actually science. You see, there are gestures of celebration. What do you do when you cross a finish line? You raise your arms. Right. What do you do when you wave hello? You raise your arms. What do you do when you hug? You raise your arms. Yes. What do you do when you high five? You raise your arms. Yes. Those are encoded as energizing gestures in your nervous system. Yeah. 
So that's why even when you do it to yourself on the lowest of mornings, you are going to feel more energized about yourself and your day. Well, let's talk about why we need to do these things. I've heard you break down the difference between worry and anxiety and how that relates to panic attacks in such a beautiful way. Can you share with us, like, how do I know if I have anxiety or if I'm just a worrier? Totally. I want to share something with you quickly because it'll mm-hmm. lead us right into this from my daughter. I did not mean to be, you know, looking at my <laughs> phone when we were starting, but there is a text from my 21 year old daughter that given who is listening, I know. And I have a 21 year old who is a like anxiety ridden. Okay. Terrific. Well, not terrific, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so this is going to be unbelievable. So she writes to me and says, mom, are you getting excited about your book? I can't wait to read it. By the way, I've been high-fiving myself in the mirror. And I say, how's the high-five working? And she said, well, I don't know what to say when I'm about to do it. Because sometimes I still look in the mirror and think, you're not as pretty as the rest of the girls. And I say, you don't need to say anything. The high-five is going to communicate everything for you. And then she said this, but what if I didn't accomplish anything? Mm. Like I didn't work out like I said I would. Are you saying I should still high five myself in the mirror? And I said, yes, you got to keep showing up every day and trying to do a little bit better. And that alone is going to make you worthy of support and celebration. You see, we have the secret to life, happiness and motivation completely backwards. You think you need to accomplish something to be worthy of a high five. She said, wait, you mean the fact that I exist deserves a high five? I said, yes. And when you high five yourself for just standing there in front of the mirror, you are demonstrating that you see you and all your potential and that you support you and you believe in you. And that no matter what happened today or didn't happen today, you still have your own back. Mm. And then I said, well, what do you think about what I just wrote? She said, I love it. It makes you feel great. And I said, well, can you explain why Mm. in your own words, it makes you feel great? And she says, well, what the high five shows you is that you don't actually know how much you're always doing. And I think that once you start high fiving yourself every single morning, it almost allows you to be more present to everything you are doing and to help you recognize all those small victories. Yeah. And when you compile those small victories, you can recognize all of your accomplishments, big and small, and eventually come to believe that not only are you worth it, but you can do anything. Mm. Well, now there's like a mad rush of young people looking to see if you will adopt them. That's my first thought. My second thought was, okay, so when my daughter has anxiety or my son has anxiety, my daughter more so has will struggle with anxiety and she's pretty open about it. There's a part of me that wants to fix it. And there's a part of me that's like, how can you have anxiety when I'm your mom and we talk about these things and I pump you up and you know you have You don't need to do anything to be amazing. Like, and so she just gets this incredible pep talk. Like most people would die to, I mean, that's like prose basically to read that and to be so encouraged. And so many people, not only do they not get that encouragement from their own parents, they don't get it from anyone. Right. So to think that she's getting that and she's, you know, her parents are together and she's had this incredible opportunity to have someone pour into her all of her life, yet she still struggles with anxiety. And so as a parent, Yeah, that's That's something something I'm always wanting. Like, I struggle with that. Like, is it something I've done? Is it the manic 
way that I live my life? Like, am I the person who's giving her? Because I don't have anxiety. So am I giving her anxiety? So I have no idea. Here's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what you think Mm. or what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Because the anxiety is her felt experience. Right. Right. And as parents, I think one of the most heartbreaking and frustrating things is that oftentimes you have somebody in your life that you love, a son, a daughter, a partner, and you see all the amazing things about them. And they don't see any of it. Mm -hmm. And so this is also one of the big things in the book that we write about, about how your own mind has a filter in it, this thing called the reticular activity system. And that the filter in your brain is very different than the filter in anybody else's brain. And it's constantly changing in real time based on what you think is important to it. So this is all chapters, I think, four through seven, we go through all this and teach you how to change the filter. You've experienced this filter, by the way. Mm -hmm. So when you go to buy a new car, Right now, everybody's seeing Broncos everywhere, right? The new Bronco is out. So okay, like, now oh, there's one, there's one, there's now one. Now I will. I, yes. had, I had him, but So when's the last will. time you bought a car? In December. Okay, and what happened once you decided what kind of car you're going to see? I keep seeing that car everywhere. Correct. And, and when I see the same car in the same color, I try to run them off the road. Yes, and so <laughs> that's your brain changing the way it filters the world in real time because of what it thinks is important to you. Yeah. And so there always were all those cars there. Yeah. Your brain just didn't think it was important to you. So it never showed it to you. It blocked it I, out of your conscious brain. Of course. So if I think, for example, that your daughter is beautiful and your daughter thinks that she's the ugliest or the biggest of all her friends or whatever, it doesn't matter what I think. Right. It matters what she thinks. Mm-hmm. And when you tell yourself over and over that you're not good enough or you're a failure or you're this or you're that, your brain actually thinks it's important. I can give you an example. So. My husband went into the restaurant business. It was a dream of his. And this is actually all part of the origin story of the five second rule. And he and his best friend launched these little pizza joints outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And it ends up not going great. And they work at it super, super hard for seven years. And at the end of the business, they sold it for you know pennies on the dollar to the next investor. They left the business and they did not return the profit that they had hoped to return to Mm. their investors. Mm. Now, our best friend, Chris's business partner, was able to leave that business and go, entrepreneurship, I'm proud of myself. We worked so hard. And yeah, did we do what we set out? No, but you know what? I feel good about what I did. My husband couldn't do that. Mm. He left that business and said, that failed. I'm a failure. And for was that his first big entrepreneurial? Yeah, okay. Yep. And for seven years, he would drag that into the bathroom every morning. And the human being he saw staring back at him in the mirror was a failure because of that thing. Mm. That's actually why most people have anxiety and because they resist the high five habit, because they are dragging their entire past into the bathroom and saying, because of these things that have been done to me or these things that I did that I wish I could change. I now see a person who does not deserve a high five. Yeah. And so you withhold the thing that you need right, to forgive right, yourself, right. to love yourself. The thing that you would give to anyone else. That's also why people feel anxious. Well, let's talk about that. Worry and anxiety. Yes. The difference between the two. You got because it. Because I don't worry and it's almost a problem. I, I've talked about it before. Why do you think you don't worry? Well, I had my brain scanned and Dr. Amen says I just don't have blood flow in that area. So part of it's genetic. Part of it is my faith. Yep. Part of it is the way I was raised. Like, you know, you just roll with everything. So 
my parents, I don't think were worriers. So I never learned the worry habit. I think it that's is a worry habit. habit. But, yeah. then, but then to your point, it's interesting. How did my daughter learn it? Right. If your daughter's struggling with it. Yes. So let me tell you the difference. So worrying is nothing more than it. Worrying is always about the future, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's never about the present moment. True. And so worrying is when your thoughts start to sound an alarm about yep. what's going to happen. Okay. So it's the, what if this, what if that, what if the other thing, what if the, what if loop that you can get trapped into mm-hmm. anxiety is when your body state changes. The worry is all the things that are happening in your head. Yeah. Oh, and anxiety you feel. Correct. Okay. Correct. That helps me. Yes. Okay. So, and you're still having the thoughts too. Correct. Okay. But a lot of times what will happen is that your body state can get so agitated that you even stop being present to what you're worried about because now your mind goes, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel like oh. my heart is racing. And you start to obsess over the physiology of your body. And I'm going to explain kind of even more about this. Super helpful. Panic is now the big brother of all of this. Mm-hmm. So worries, little baby. Then we got the middle schooler, which is feeling it in your body. And then you got the big, like a teenager of a panic attack, which is when the body state gets so scared and upset that now your brain has an emergency system that says, we're going to get you out of here. So if you've ever been around somebody who panics, yes. they're not rational. No, they're immediately like, I need to get out of the room. We're going to die. I'm going to die. Like they go into a mode of get me out of here as a way to rescue themselves from a body that's now sounding a five alarm mm-hmm. and a fire. So there are two ways that anxiety can come on this anxiety thing in your body. Mm-hmm. You can either start with your mind and all the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if okay. this happens? It can happen as you're scrolling through social media and you start to see that your friends all went out and they didn't invite you. Thanks a lot. Or you see the person that's, you know, exercising and you start going, but I didn't exercise. And you start thinking it's never going to work out for me. Or you see all the couples and then you start thinking, what if I never meet anybody? So yeah, it can start totally. with the thoughts, right? Yeah, yeah. And then your body starts to go, uh-oh. And your stomach gets tense and your armpits sweat and your heart starts to race. And that's how it ramps up. Or if you have trauma stored in your body from anything in your childhood or anything in your past, there will be times that you feel a surge of anxiety come on and you don't know why. So there is no precursor. There's no, you're saying for certain people or in certain situations, yeah, you might just be washing the dishes you, yes. and suddenly you have anxiety. Come yes. on. If it's a trauma response, it's because your nervous system just remembered something from your past. So I'll give like you a, subconsciously. Yeah. I'll give you a really, really common example that we've found in all the research that we've done and the people that we've coached. A lot of people get very on edge as the sun goes down. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because if you grew up in a chaotic or abusive household, that's when people were coming home from work. Yeah. That's when the drinking began. Or you came home from school. Correct. If you hear tires on a gravel road, if you hear a beer can crack open, if you smell a certain cologne, mm-hmm. those can be things that set you on edge. And that's not even something you're consciously aware of. It's your body remembering something. And your body's now trying to help you by going, pay attention, pay attention. This is that thing. This is that thing. But then you're standing there washing your dishes. You feel this thing happen and you're like, why am I feeling nervous? Why is my son? And then your thoughts go. This is how it escalates. So can I ask yeah. you, somebody who has feels anxiety all the time? That's generalized anxiety. And that's what that. That's, and is that a physical feeling that you feel all the time? What that is. And again, 
there's an entire chapter around this book that'll change your life. I think it's chapter seven. It's called High Five in Your Heart. Mm -hmm. So when you're on edge all the time, let me teach you about your nervous system. Because I think everybody on the planet right now, having come out of the last 18 months, everybody is right now in a state of fight or flight. Mm. Everybody's nervous system is fried and on edge. Everybody is prone to being triggered because you have just gone through a level of sustained uncertainty that no human nervous system can manage. So here's what everybody needs to know. You have two nervous systems, okay? You have something called the sympathetic nervous system, which is basically fight or flight, right? This is your anxiety state. This is being on edge. This is feeling like the next shoe is going to drop. This is what psychologists call being dysregulated, okay? The second nervous system that you have is called the parasympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. system. And that is your calm, cool, grounded, resting nervous system. That's how we want you to go through your day. Yeah. Because when you are grounded in your body and you feel comfortable in your own skin, first of all, your prefrontal cortex can work. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you won't be as easily triggered. Third, you'll feel more optimistic and focused. And so I want to teach you a simple trick using science to switch off this on edge nervous system Mm -hmm. and switch on the -hmm. really positive one. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to use something called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is a treasure, as you know, in your body. And it runs from your rear end all the way up to the top of your head, through every organ, through your vocal cords. All you're going to do is take your hands, put them right here in the center of your chest. You're going to press down and take a deep breath. And then you're going to say these three sentences. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm loved. Today's episode of The Shalene Show is sponsored by our friends at Organifi. You've heard me talk about them probably way too many times, but it's because the stuff is so good and it's helpful, especially if you're dealing with brain fog or ADHD or you just want to have a quicker memory. So many products, but my favorite is Organifi Pure. It comes in a little packet or you can get it in a tub now, which is super convenient. I prefer the little packets. I dump one of the Pures into my water and then I have Organifi Immunity. These are two different products, but these are the two that I'm obsessed with. Obviously, immune, why wouldn't you want to bolster your own immune response? But the Immunity is great because it kind of has an orange flavor and then the Pure tastes a little bit like my lemon ginger water. So when I mix them together, it's literally, it makes me drink so much more water and I know I'm getting my immunity. For example, it gives you 500% of your daily needs for vitamin C. In addition to that, it's got zinc, vegan vitamin D3, very, very important. So many people don't even realize that their vitamin D is insufficient and that's why their energy is low. That's why they can't lose their fat. The immunity product also helps because it bolsters your immune system. It's got an antiviral and antifungal, and it really tastes delicious. I also love the Pure. That's the one that I take for my brain. It's got 11 different superfoods. It's 100% USDA certified organic. It is clinically proven, this is huge, to boost brain-derived neurotropic factor. Why do you need to care about that? Because that's what makes you think more clearly. That is what helps to increase the neurogenesis. That's like your little connections in your brain and they connect faster. And that's the stuff that we need if we want better memory, if we want to feel mentally sharp, if we want to pull up information quicker in our heads, we want to be less forgetful, then we need to think about these things. A lot of their products are fantastic. Those are two of my favorite. I'm going to let you check out the rest of them. 
they are going to give you 20% off all of their products when you use code Shaleen. So you go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Shaleen. That gets you 20% off. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Shaleen. Get 20% off. All their products are great. My favorites, Pure and Immunity. What did you feel when you did that? I believe those things. Yeah. I feel good. Yeah. You know, I feel calmer. Yeah. So I, I suppose that brings you into that state. Yes. And pressing here actually tones the vagus nerve, mm. which is an on-off button between yeah. the on edge and the calm and cool. Mm-hmm. It's like a treasure. And so here's a couple things I want you to know. There are some mornings you might wake up and you need to do it 53 times. <laughs> there are days you might stand in the grocery store and somebody cuts you off with their cart and it just sends you reeling. Hands on heart. Give your heart a high five. Pull yourself back into your body. Switch off that stress response. Switch on your grounded, calm, and control response. Do you recommend people do that? I mean, is there a way to put the brake on if you're someone who can pretty easily slip into a panic attack? Yes. So this is something you want to start to do immediately. And I recommend you do it right after you get out of bed. Because I would like for you, before you get into the bathroom mirror, I would like for you to be present and on edge. And I would like for you to be grounded in your body when you start your day. It's an incredible gift that you can give yourself because you'll feel more in control and centered and present. And then when you step in front of that mirror, you will actually be able to be with yourself and to understand, okay, what do I need from myself today? And it completely changes that moment. The other reason why this is important is because if your nervous system is on edge and that's your default, yes, you're going to be way more prone to a panic attack because you are already idling at such a stressed out level. And all the chemical releases from the cortisol and everything else that's flooding your body, we need to get you back into a more neutral and grounded state. So that'll help for sure. And so it's important to understand, are my worries starting in my head or are they actually a felt experience in my body? Because then depending upon which or both it is, you can use two totally different strategies. Mm. First of all, this high-fiving your heart absolutely will work for trauma. It does not get rid of it. It helps you manage and live with it. I would recommend EMDR. Mm, I would also recommend big fans of EMDR. Yeah. And the guided psychedelic modalities are incredible. I've done those for childhood trauma and they've been unbelievable. Amazing. And so those sorts of things really help you heal trauma. This will help you control it, live with it, not be afraid of it in terms of being able to settle your nervous system. You've experienced anxiety all your life. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions around that. Number one, controlling it, managing it. What are your thoughts and your experiences with medication, SSRIs? Oh, great question. So I took Zoloft from the age of 22 until probably 44. Okay. It was life-changing. Life-saving or life-changing or both? Both. It was the latter I needed to get out of a hole Mm. because when I finally got diagnosed with anxiety, I have a very interesting story. Because I fall into the group of women, and I know you do too, that were completely what part of what they call the lost generation. Yeah. So when they came out, as you know, with the ADHD and ADD diagnosis back it's in just the a 70s. Boy <laughs> just a boy thing. Yeah. And the symptoms for women present completely differently. Mm-hmm. And when you don't treat ADHD, you tend to get anxiety. And so there's a huge group of women our age that were treated and medicated for anxiety 
in their late teens and early 20s when the actual issue was ADD. It's still happening today. Oh, of course it is. Yes. I, it's it's actually one of these things I'm super passionate about getting out into the world. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I discovered the five second rule and I started to do the part that you can do to interrupt the worry loop, which when you can cut the anxiety off at its knees by cutting off the worry cycle, you stop the escalation in your body. Okay. And so I can teach you guys how to do that. It's super simple. It's Let's do super it. Let's effective. Do it. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to teach you about anxiety, though, that also is incredibly empowering because it makes so much sense. So anxiety has a purpose. Really important one, actually. Anxiety and that anxiety response in your body gets you to pay attention. Yeah. If you go into a state of being hyper alert before a test, you'll do better if you're not worried. Absolutely. Same with performance. Same with sports. Like it's really, and also it alerts you to danger. So for example, if you and I were driving after this interview to go get a cup of coffee and somebody suddenly swerves in front of us. Yes. And we whip the car. Yes. What are you going to feel in your body? Feels like butterflies. I'll shake. Yep. Sweat maybe. Yep. A little bit of panic. Yep. And your muscles tense up. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So you just had a panic attack in the car. Oh. (laughs) But the reason why it wasn't scary is because intellectually it made sense. It made sense. sense. Yeah. Like, of course I I almost died. Yeah. The the swerving was your brain taking over to get you out of there. That's a panic attack. Yeah. Basically. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? In a way that's healthy. Yeah. And then when there's us. Yeah. When the car pulls away, what happens in your body? Look, it stays for a minute, Uh you know, but then you start to go like, "Ah, okay, I'm safe. Exactly. Exactly. What happens for people that struggle with anxiety is they have that response and it doesn't make any sense because they don't understand it. Mm. So it escalates because they get afraid of it. And once you're afraid of anxiety coming on, then you actually make it last longer because you're resisting the up and down of it. And so there's two things that you can do. First, what I want you to do is I want you to write down. Well, actually, first, what you do is for a week, anytime you catch yourself time traveling ahead or worrying, use the five second rule and interrupt it. Five, four, three, two, one. And just say, I'm not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. You want to build a muscle of catching yourself hanging out in the worry loop. Oh, catch yourself when you're hanging out there. Uh Okay. Yeah. You're thinking about your roommate situation this fall, and it's not even this fall yet. You're worried about what classes you're going to get. You're worried about whether or not you're going to lose the weight before the reunion. You're worried about whether or not you, anyone's going to hire you because you've been home staying home. Like you're like sitting here just in the doom loop, right? I do this with my daughter. And so I'm curious if you can give me some advice from someone who has it, because again, I don't know her experience, but I, we will get into this dialogue. We just did it last night. She's planning her wedding. And she's launching a beauty brand. And so she was going through like all of the yeah. what ifs thoughts in her head. And she's, she was like, I'm so anxious. And so I'm dismissing each one of her what ifs. Don't do and it. What ifs. And I just You're keep dismissing, making her and dismissing it and dismissing it. You want to know why? And I'm, like, and I'm like the toxic positivity mother, like, so you're not worried. Okay. Good night. I'm going to bed, but you're not worried and you're not anxious. Well, so when somebody <laughs> who's anxious brings their problems to yeah. people, people are like, Here's the thing. I did this for years and my kids' anxiety just escalated. Okay. So there are two mistakes all parents... I'm taking notes. All parents make these two mistakes, including yours truly. I mean, I caused my kids years of therapy because of these mistakes. And myself, of course, for blaming myself for making these mistakes. Number one is invalidating the worry. Okay. We think we're helping our kids by going, let me tell you all the reasons why you don't need to worry about that. 
Okay. What actually happens is you shove your kid further into the corner because they don't feel seen or heard. This will change your life as a parenting method. Okay. Okay. Yep. This is all you say. Would you like me to give you advice or do you just need me to listen? Okay. Okay. I can do that. 95% of the time, my kids say, I just need you to listen. Okay. They're getting it out of their head by coming to you. Yeah. And I have the same dynamic with one of my daughters where she comes to me and I've become her blankie emotionally. Sure. And then I immediately try to go, but that's not an issue. And that's not an issue. And that's good that you have that fight with that friend because she's a jerk anyway. And she just is coming to be heard. That's it. And I keep the anxiety around because she's not resolving it in a healthy way because I'm fighting with her about whether or not it's actually legitimate to feel this mm. way. So I'm also making her feel less than for having these worries. I trust you. I trust you when you say this, but there's a part of me that feels like, but she doesn't see the, like, you know, if she's struggling it's with this, not I, I, she, I just have your, to explain to her. No, but it's not, this is how but here's work. the thing. Here's the second mistake. We think it's our job as parents to fix the things they're worried about. Absolutely. It feels like an obligation. You're only as happy as your least happy child, they say. But here's the thing. When you step in to fix it, yeah. you are telling your child, I don't think you can. Right. Absolutely. Or I don't think you can yeah. face this. You don't have what it takes. Yes. Let me do it for you. Yes. And I made this mistakes for years. I was creating a learned helplessness in my kids. Mm. I was entrenched in this toxic pattern of my daughter coming to me with her concerns and worries, which were very, very valid, and me trying to fix them because I was worried. But all she felt was mom doesn't hear me. And this is actually a big deal. And she thinks that simple solution is going to fix it. And the truth is the simple solution always fixes it. But she's not coming to you about mm-hmm. the stuff she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. She's actually expressing that deeper emotion of this hurts or I'm scared or I don't feel good enough. And when we stay up here, like, let's get rid of this and let's take care of that and don't think about it this way. We're just trying to help. We just love them. Yeah. The deeper thing, the deeper wound that they keep having trigger this anxiety, it doesn't actually get addressed. Mm. And so when you listen, And just listen and listen. Anything else? Great. Is there anything you need from me? Because then what Mm. happens is you're teaching them how to think strategically, make requests, and ask for the help that they need. Yeah. This all comes back to, by the way, this high five habit in the mirror. Because if you can't stand in the mirror and see a human being, that's trying, that's struggling, that's anxious, that feels insecure and still go, I hear all that and I got you and we're going to get through it. You're going to constantly be seeking that assurance in everybody else mm. about the surface level things in your life. Mm. When the real issue is something much deeper and when you start to connect with yourself at a deeper level every single morning and see a human being and celebrate them, no matter where they are, even if the wedding stuff is falling apart or the bridesmaids are complaining with each other. And I don't even know the stuff or you're just worried. You're not going to fit into the dress or you're worried about where people are going to sit at the tables or you're worried about who's going to show up all the things. About, like all the things you can stand with yourself with all those things going on and still love and support and celebrate yourself and know that no matter what happens, whether the seating arrangement gets right or not, or that you got your own back. Yeah. 
you're going to see yourself through it. I love that you're a fan of therapy. You talk about it and also finding out the right medication, maybe even like you said, knowing if you have the right diagnosis, like that's huge because it's so liberating. Once you like really, truly understand your brain, which, you know, we can probably spend a whole nother hour talking about that. It just doesn't make sense that right now the standard of care is we ask a a couple of questions. We don't look at the organ and then we decide what's going on with you. Are you a fan of therapy for kids and at what age and any age you need it? I'm a fan of talking about everything. Yeah. Did you send your kids therapy when they needed it? Absolutely. When our kids, when, when our son started sleeping on the floor at what age, the age of eight. And it went from one night, his bedroom or on the floor in your room. Okay. Okay. And it went from one night to three months. Yeah. We got a therapist. All right. And that's when I started to learn. I'm really screwing this up because I, by letting him stay on the floor, I'm actually communicating. You're right. You're not strong enough to sleep Mm. through the night. So this brought up an email I got from a mom this week who said, she ended up with a daughter who ended up being very suicidal, yeah. uh, extreme bullying, et cetera. Yeah. And she kept telling her like, you know, it's going to make you tougher. This is how girls are. Like, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. I went through this in middle school too, all those things. And she said, the one thing I regret not doing Did was taking it serious enough. Did die by suicide? No, no. Oh, okay. When you said regret, I was like. Oh, her, her regret was that she didn't transfer her to another school yeah. and realize it was. So, you know, when I think about like, okay, you can fix it yourself. I believe in you. I trust you. How do we find that balance? Well, I think in extreme situations like that, you got to listen to your kid and the expert. Like if your kid is crying that much for help and is suicidal, get them out of the environment they're in. Period. If you have a kid that's got chronic anxiety and they're starting to opt out of life, you need support in supporting them in inching toward the things that are scaring them because it's only through facing the things that are scaring them. And that doesn't mean striding into a school where you're getting bullied to the point of wanting to die by suicide. But if you're afraid to go out, they're afraid to go out of the house or afraid to invite somebody over, afraid to- Which is really common right now in in this age group, like 13 to I think it's also common coming out of the pandemic. Absolutely. And I think it probably has a lot to do with that. They're afraid to drive their cars. They're afraid to- they're afraid to go off of social media. See, like I think that this, by the like, way, is a lot of our overparenting. Uh, I think that we have so bubble wrapped our kids because we don't want them. It, it hurts when your kid is in pain that we don't force them to do things mm. that are a struggle. And I, I've certainly succumbed to this after a long day of work. Do I want to fight with my kid about whether or not they should have their phone in the room? No. Right. That's should honest. I have done that sooner? Of course. Because what I didn't realize about our kids and their phones is that part of the problem with phones in their bedrooms after a certain hour is they feel obligated yes. to be available to their friends. And to know what's going on with everyone everywhere. Yep. yep. And so there is a psychology driver that is more powerful than they are. And as parents, it's important to kind of know when to draw the line and when not, even though it hurts, even though they're going to hate you. Look at the same stuff our parents said to us, but I think it's more complicated with technology. It really is because they're on their laptops for school and they're on their phones doing FaceTime in study groups and they're on their phones in FaceTime playing video games. And that's how a lot of them socialize. And on their devices and they were forced to be so like first graders all the way through the pandemic. I remember being on the phone upstairs. Talking to my best friend, Jody Bricken, 
in secret at 11 o'clock Which at night. Which one of the cords that yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, mortified because my father picks up and is like, all right, you two, I can hear you. Hang up the phone. You're like, oh my God. Okay, hang up the phone. I got to go, Jody. You know, we we're way up past our bedtime. Yeah. And we are not doing that with our kids. Right. Because they have a whole world in their hand. And so I do think one really important thing that we put in place way too late was a basket in the kitchen with a charging station. Mm. And after a certain time, our kids had to have it in the I basket. love that tip. My phone goes in my bathroom at night. That's yeah. where I charge it, even in a hotel, no matter where I am, because I, I can't be trusted. Yeah. I'm going to grab it and look at it. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about the high five habit. Yeah. I was in pre- preparation for our time together today. I was thinking about how that's like one of the first things you teach kids. Like if you notice like little kids, they, they learn oh, to wave goodbye so and they go high five, high five, you know? And so why not? teach them this habit and, and to give it to themselves too. And, and so no, that's what I love about the book. It it's, it's so helpful yes. for people any age. You're not saying like this is going to fix somebody who's, you know, has some deeper issues to deal Actually, with, but it's a good Let me strategy. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. So a really important story that I think, actually there's two. One is in the book and one happened yesterday. Okay. So a woman who was in a domestic violence shelter, massive childhood trauma, just escaped a very abusive relationship. She's lost everything. Mm -hmm. And she wrote to us from a domestic violence shelter and said that what the high five habit has taught her after five days is that she knows that she has a lifetime of healing ahead of her. She knows Mm. she has a tremendous amount of work to do, but now she knows that she can have her own back. And that's like one of those moments where when that clicks inside somebody, now, it's not going to change the reality of what she's facing. It's not going to change the very real obstacles that she has from a psychological and economic uh, everything perspective. But what it, it changes is her yeah. and her ability to rise up and to face these things. And the second one was yesterday. So, so this circulated in an email to our team this morning because I like to see from our audience what's the impact of what we're doing. And so we circulate an email every morning with, screenshots of comments or emails or stuff of what people are saying. And there was a woman that said, now keep in mind, the high five habit book is not even out yet. Mm -hmm. I've only just shared it on social media. Can't even really get into the deep science, which Mm -hmm. we only like scratched at the surface on in our conversation. Mm -hmm. She said that she was at an AA meeting and somebody stood up in the AA meeting and shared the high five habit. You're kidding. No. And said to everybody, you have got to get on the bandwagon with this because we all need to wake up every day and see a human being who is trying and who needs encouragement and support. And to think that a simple idea backed by science is already going viral and helping people not only help themselves, but help other people by sharing it. Yeah. It is the most just magical and exquisite thing in the world. It's got to feel amazing. It does. And so I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to come on your show, talk about anxiety and uh, (laughs) And our kids and and all of it. Well, what a gift. I strongly encourage you to pick up the book. Personally, I am such a fan of everything you do on Audible because it is so real. Like you just, you really don't feel like someone's reading a script. You really feel like someone is sharing from their heart. I mean, it sounds so extemporaneous. I don't know what your process is, but if you're like me and 
you have a hard time reading an entire book, I promise you will listen to every single minute of an audible. You can check out the links below where you can find the pre-ordering the book. Go ahead and pick it up. Again, pick up hard copy so you can refer back to it, so you can give it to somebody else, but audible for yourself so you can listen to it. Because this is the kind of stuff you need on repeat. You know, oh, you really and do. this book is everything Play from... Play it in the car so your kids can hear Crazy pep talks to me, like literally ugly crying at, through parts of the book. Like it's a nine-hour roller coaster entertainment like ride. I love it. And the other thing I'm really excited about is you partnering with us on the global high five challenge. I love this. It's yes. a five day high five challenge. Yes. We've got a link to it again below in our, our notes there. You can be a part of it. It's free. It's free. It's five days of coaching tools and community. You know what it'll do? You it'll force think, people to do it. You yes. know, like, I don't know. Even if I read your book, I don't know if I would have forced myself to, cause I'm just not an in the mirror kind of like pump you up kind of person, but having a five day accountability, you're going to do that. And what would be the harm, right? And get, get your whole family to do it. Because right now I, I really do think we're looking at generations mm-hmm. right now where anxiety and depression and suicide and self-harm and these things are really becoming epidemic. So let's give them some tools to cope well, with and, this stuff. And that's all about self-rejection. Yeah. And this is a simple way to break that habit, at least in the mirror in the morning. And teach somebody using science who's in a low place or an okay place how to reconnect with that sense of belief that's in themselves. Because I think what's really heartbreaking as a parent is we know what they were like as a child. Yeah. We know that they used to look in the mirror and celebrate themselves and kiss the mirror and twirl around and love life. That's in their DNA. Yeah. Life is what covered that up. And this is a simple way to reconnect with that inside of themselves. On that note, let's high five. Looking at your elbow. I love you. (laughs) Love you too. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.